We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. It's moving day on State Circle in Annapolis. In a little less than two hours, Republican Larry Hogan and his wife Yumi will move out of Government House, making way for the new Democratic governor, Wes Moore, his wife Dawn, and their family. So it's not just a new job, it's a new home. And home is across the street from the job, which happens also to be the building, the state house, where the legislature works. For the next 12 weeks, politicians and the press will pretty much demand the new governor's attention all the time, right where he lives and works. And, oh yeah, he has 48 hours to tell Maryland taxpayers how he plans to spend their money next year. Aside from governors and their families themselves, the people who know most about how chaotic things can be behind the scenes of a new gubernatorial administration are the ones hired to make it less chaotic, their chiefs of staff. In a few minutes, we'll speak with the person in the job at this moment, Amelia chasse Alcivar, Governor Hogan's chief of staff. With us now is former chief of staff to Democratic Governor Martin O'Malley, Matt Gallagher. Gallagher is president and CEO of the Goldsacker Foundation, which makes grants for community development, education, and nonprofit capacity in Baltimore. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sheila. Appreciate it. Fagan Harris is Governor-elect Westmore's chief of staff. Set the scene for us. What does Harris have to focus on on Inauguration Day? Well, on Inauguration Day, the governor-elect and his family will be moving into a new household. Um, They will be uh, participating in a huge amount of uh, pageantry uh, as they're sworn into office and, and take the reins of Maryland state government. And at noon, you know, the governor-elect will become responsible for a $60 billion annual enterprise with tens of thousands of employees delivering a whole host of, um, you know, services and funding to every corner of the state. So it's it's the flipping of a very big and significant switch. But that's out in public. And sure, Fagan Harris is focusing on that, but what's going on behind the scenes? Well, I mean, behind the scenes, they're literally moving into a new house. They are taking responsibility for um, this huge bureaucratic apparatus. Um, the The staff in the governor's office is trying to figure out how to log on to their emails, where their offices are going to be, where they're going to park their cars or how they're going to get to work, um, all while the Maryland General you know, assembly is in session, uh, starting to, um, you know, prepare to consider hundreds of pieces of legislation. And they're all getting pulled in about a thousand different directions. Looking back on your first weeks as chief of staff, what was the hardest or, or, or the most surprising? I mean, what should you have been ready for that you were not? It's pretty crazy that approximately two months after a new governor gets elected, you're dropped into this fishbowl that is Annapolis. Um, You are surrounded by legislators from kind of every corner of the state and advocates who um, are extraordinarily demanding of your attention and your time. And they know exactly where you're going to be, you know, in the state house. And um, they are ever present physically 
And when you walk outside to go to your car or you go to get a cup of coffee or go to lunch, um, you are swarmed in a way that there is very, very little preparation for. And oh, by the way, you have to install about two dozen, you know, CEOs at the agency level who are, you know, running now billion-dollar enterprises. And you have to figure out a way to kind of make all of that come together um, in a way that, you know, shows that you're in control, that you are ready to make progress on the things that you campaigned on. And um, it's pretty it's pretty overwhelming what you have to do in, in these two short months to be ready to kind of uh, shoulder that responsibility. By the time you became chief of staff for Governor O'Malley in 2009, you had worked for him in other jobs. Going back to when he was mayor of Baltimore, you headed city-state. How important will it be to Governor Moore and to Fagan Harris, his chief of staff, that they work together creating Baltimore Corps? I think it's critically important, to be honest with you. When Mayor O'Malley became Governor O'Malley, he had a core team of people who had been with him in the trenches, you know, managing and improving Baltimore City for almost seven years. And while the governor-elect Moore isn't coming out of a local government experience or a federal government experience, there are people that he has worked with very closely through the years. And, you know, at the top of that list would be Fagan Harris. Um, they co-founded and co-created Baltimore Core a $10 million a year nonprofit here in Baltimore City that uh, has done some extraordinary things in terms of providing opportunities for um, people who typically are overlooked in the in the job workforce. I should say that you are chair of Baltimore Corps' board of directors. Des- describe to us how they work together. Fagan was the uh, founding president and CEO, and Wes was the founding board chair. And what they did is they came together around an idea that there were many people in Baltimore who had not been afforded the types of professional and career opportunities that they deserve and for which they were ready. And the idea of Baltimore Corps was born about a decade ago, actually, at Westmore's house. And what Baltimore Corps has done over the last 10 years through its creation of a fellowship program, through its management of programs like AmeriCorps, um, through the pandemic when it took the lead on finding contact tracers for Baltimore City, it has become a platform for human capital, for talent identification and development. And when I think about what the governor-elect and Fagan are about to tackle in terms of state government and really rebuilding state government, which has been decimated by a loss of workforce and high vacancy levels and really some critical service areas of the state, I think they're incredibly well-prepared and equipped and have ideas about how to tackle these challenges and issues. Looking back at your own first weeks on the job, what would you advise Fagan Harris? What's, you know, I think what do you wish is, someone had told you? I, I wish somebody had told me to enjoy the moment even more than I did, and to be every day in this historic building, you know, the Maryland State House, um, where so many amazing things have happened through the history of our country and our state. Um, you really do have to build in some time just to kind of look around and pinch yourself. 
And just be grateful that you have a chance to serve in this way and that you have a chance to have such a positive impact on the lives of Marylanders. Thanks for talking to us, Matt. Absolutely, Sheila. Thank you. Matt Gallagher, president and CEO of the Goldsecker Foundation, was Democratic Governor Martin O'Malley's second chief of staff from 2009 to 2013. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Joining us now, sharing part of one of her last hours as Governor Hogan's chief of staff, is Amelia Chasse Alcivar. She's been chief of staff since 2020, after working earlier as Governor Hogan's press secretary and then communications director of the National Republican Governors Association. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sheila. Thanks for having me. So the public will see an impressive swearing-in ceremony, pageantry, a speech, and a black-tie gala tonight. What does the public not know about what is going on behind the scenes of a new governor's term? Well, Sheila, you know, I'm, I'm right here in, the, in my office in the uh, Maryland State House. I'm looking out the window to the, the, the preparations for what looks like it's going to be a beautiful ceremony to swear in uh, Governor-elect Westmore and Lieutenant Governor-elect Aruna Miller. And, you know, I think what most Marylanders would be really proud of is the fact that this has been an incredibly collaborative and uh, certainly peaceful, uh, but, 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 you know, collaborative and, and uh, professional and productive transition process. And the Thursday after the election, so just, you know, 48 hours uh, after the election, um, Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford and myself and a few members of our senior team met with some of the senior members of the incoming uh, administration's team here at the State House. Um, in that meeting, we handed over uh, detailed transition reports for every single state agency and, and the governor's office and other important entities that you know they'd have to be ready to to take over and and run in the the, the manner that they see fit on day one. Um, since that, you know, a couple months ago, back in November, since that time, in the intervening months, we've had an open dialogue, uh, facilitated you know, dozens of briefings, introductions to you know key agency staff, um, conversations about continuity of operations, about emergency management, some of the the you know, security related challenges of of the transfer of power and running the state. And you know, I I, I certainly feel, and I, I certainly hope that the uh, the incoming team in the more Miller administration feels like we've had a, a really open and and helpful and collaborative dialogue, and that you know they're as ready as any new administration can be to to take the reins up for the inauguration. Yeah, the founding uh, editor of Maryland Matters said he figured out Fagan Harris was going to be Governor Moore's chief of staff when he saw you giving Harris a tour of the state house. What is the biggest challenge that staff might not see coming? So I think that, you know, anyone stepping into a new role, even even myself coming into this role, you know, in the in the kind of the final quarter of the Hogan administration, if everything's a top priority, then nothing's a top priority. And, you know, you really are and anyone in these in these roles can be drinking out of a fire hose, you know, from day one. Um, and everybody and anybody is going to be pushing for, you know, their issue, their policy priority. You know, they're coming in in the middle of a or, or at the early stages of a legislative session. So that's a whole other you know, set of, um, of of stakeholders to deal with and issues that are going to arise. And I think the, you know, the, the two really key ways that, that staff can help um, keep the governor and the administration on track is ensuring that, you know, whatever else they may be working on and having to deal with in the course of their, their jobs, that, you know, there's always a focus on driving the administration's key priorities forward and moving the ball on those, you know, as, every day. And, uh, and to not kind of lose the forest for the trees. And then on the flip side of that, 
also ensuring that, you know, these senior staff roles like chief of staff, et cetera, are really kind of gatekeeping roles and ensuring that, you know, the decisions that come to the governor's level are decisions that, that he or she truly needs to make. A big part of the first weeks of an administration is hiring people who will head agencies, set policies. How do you do that expeditiously without making mistakes? Well, I will say this, you know, it's, it's, it's better to be right than to be quick in, you know, to a certain point. And well, it's important to, you know, have those leadership. And, and as I mentioned, you know, there's, there's continuity uh, concerns to, to have in mind. Um, I think it's getting the right people, I think Governor Hogan would certainly say this, getting the right people in the right places is, is paramount um, because the stakes are really high. And, you know, I want to say one thing about there is, what people don't always realize is there are tens of thousands of incredibly dedicated Maryland state employees that do not turn over with a new administration that are in, you know, career positions. And those people, you know, really deserve credit for continuing to keep the wheels of government going and serving people and, and you know, getting, uh, keeping programs up and running, uh, even if there is a change in leadership and even if there is, you know, some some level of, of, of gap in the, you know, some of the senior positions and agencies being filled. So, you know, those people each and every day are going to be there if, if there is a, if there's ever a need um, to keep, you know, keep the operation running. I think personnel is policy is something that, you know, that I often say I really believe. Um, picking the right people is, is, is really critical. And it's certainly a, a challenge to do as good a job as quickly as possible. And, you know, I know that Governor Hogan's very proud of the leadership, the cabinet and the senior, the senior team that he put together, um, with, which changed, you know, somewhat over the years as people came and went. Uh, and I, I'm sure we'll see, we've seen, quite a few announcements from the Moore Miller team in the past couple of days. I'm sure we'll continue to see more and see what direction that they plan to take some of these, these critical roles in. What would you warn Governor-elect Moore's Chief of Staff, Fagan Harris, to be on the watch for? Oh, goodness. Um, well, I, first of all, I think Fagan seems like an incredibly talented guy and, and, uh, and, and really genuine person. And you know, I've really um, gotten to know him a little bit over the past couple of months. And I think he's going to, to be a great, um, is a great choice for the role. You know, what I'd warn him about is, is that the, the you know, chief of staff, obviously different chiefs of staff kind of have diff- bring different skill sets and different backgrounds to the role. You know, as you mentioned, Sheila, I, I have a background in communication, so I've probably been, you know, more involved in that aspect of, of the, you know, the governor's um, day-to-day than, you know, others who have different background might be. Um, what, I've, what I've warned Fagan about is, you know, what I've tried to focus on every day, which is, you know, our, my job and chief of staff's job is to ensure that the governor's priorities are moving forward. And it's very, very easy with the amount of just sheer amount of incoming, the sheer amount of volume that you, know, you get in this role uh, to, to lose sight of that and to get focused on, you know, kind of playing defense every day versus playing offense and making sure that you're pushing things forward and keeping um, what the governor wants to see get done on track. Uh, so that's, that's a, you know, that's an advice I give anybody coming in, you know, at a senior level for, for a governor or public official. Amelia, thank you for taking time to talk to us at such a busy moment. Well, thank you, Sheila. Thank you for having me. And and just, you know, thanks to all your listeners for the support they've given our team and and the governor and lieutenant governor over the years. And uh, let's all look forward to an exciting day for the inauguration. Amelia Chasse-Alsevar is chief of staff to outgoing Republican Governor Larry Hogan. I'm Sheila Cast. Short break now. When we're back, law professor Larry Gibson on the historical significance of Westmore's election. Stay with us.
Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Among his many titles, law professor, historian, author, Larry S. Gibson is proud to call himself a political organizer. He has taught at the University of Maryland Law School for almost a half century. He wrote Young Thurgood, The Making of a Supreme Court Justice, and is about to publish a sequel. And he's been working in democratic politics even longer than he's been teaching law. He managed Kurt Schmoke's 1987 campaign to be the first black mayor of Baltimore, as well as two re-election campaigns. He chaired the 1992 Clinton-Gore campaign in Maryland. And he worked on Wayne Curry's 1994 election as the first black Prince George's County executive. Larry Gibson was in early for Westmore for governor. We've asked him to reflect with us on the significance of Moore becoming Maryland's 63rd governor, the first who is African-American. Welcome back to the show. Yes, my pleasure to be back. Um, what The only change I would make is, I don't know if I would regard myself as having been in early and so of Port of West because um, we talked for months, but um, I was, not expecting to be involved in this particular uh, gubernatorial campaign and delayed it quite a while. And it's not until my 80th birthday, March 22nd, when I decided to support O.S. Moore. He appointed me as the senior advisor to the campaign, and so that's when I got on board. And it was a crowded Democratic primary. What, in your view, pushed Wes Moore over the finish line? It was crowded with good people, several of whom were good friends of mine. So another reason I didn't want to get involved. But ultimately, I concluded that this was and is a truly exceptional person. I mean, I've been involved with a lot of politics and a lot of politicians, and I've gotten to know many really good people. But I I concluded that this was an exceptional uh, uh, person, a combination of intelligence and integrity and energy and ideas. Oprah, speaking about uh, Westmore, had somewhat of the same comments. She said he has it. She couldn't put a word on it, and neither can I. So I I, I thought about it and said, this is an exceptional opportunity that the state of Maryland has, and I will will do what I can uh, to help get him elected. Well, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but are are you also implying with that that you concluded that this newcomer to political campaigning could win the primary? Well, that was also a part of the uh, calculation. Uh, by January, I was starting to think fairly positively about him, but then and I had a meeting with him and told him that I'm not prepared to endorse you, but I, I would be willing to evaluate your uh, campaign. So that's what I essentially did through January and March, looking at uh, the campaign, visiting offices, looking at uh, uh, research data, and I concluded, uh, one, that he could win, but I also concluded at that point he was not on track to win. And I told him so. It was kind of a little shocking to <laughs> what I said. At the moment, uh, uh, you know, he was pretty far down in the polls, and you know, there needed to be some adjustments uh, uh, to the campaign, but it took another two months before I concluded that I could help make those adjustments. 
That's law professor, historian, and political organizer Larry Gibson. On the record on WIPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about the significance of Maryland installing its first black governor, Wes Moore, today. During Governor Hogan's eight-year term, elected officials and residents in Baltimore complained that the city was being ignored. What specific benefits do you expect for Baltimore now that there's a governor who calls the city home? Well, my problem with uh, Governor Hogan started right at the beginning of his administration, and I really have never forgiven him for what he did uh, in uh, destroying the progress and really uh, uh, the, the, the um, red line uh, project. This is um, a project that had been planned for 10 years. Uh, he, essence, in essence, turned back to Washington almost a billion dollars. It, and it, uh, the city continues uh, uh, to suffer from not making the progress, which by now, which would have been traumatic. Uh, and and, uh, so, and West, uh, Westmore campaigned on a promise to revive was, the red line. Getting, what else do you expect Westmore to do for well, Baltimore? Well, he, 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 he will work to get that going. It'll take years to get it going back. But I remember my very first meeting uh, with him and then something that he kept saying in every meeting, it ultimately becomes the slogan. Uh, the slogan, uh, leave uh, no one uh, behind. I remember in my very first discussion with him, asking him, well, what do you, if you're governor, what are you going to do? It was clear to me that two things stuck out. One, his, his recognition of just how wealthy a state this is, that it's a fairly small state, with just this unbelievable institutions and resources. Uh, therefore, uh, no reason to have the extent of poverty that we have, the, these world-class educational institutions and uh, uh, inadequate schools in some places, all that his, and, and, and I got actually convinced of his determination to address uh, that matter. So in my discussions with him saying as to what, you should do to readjust this campaign is I said, well, if that's really what you are all about, then that should become your slogan and you should say it every time. Uh, it ultimately became this uh, uh, a campaign, a message of leave no one behind. But I heard it from him in our very first meeting around September of last year. I would hear it, the, 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 the concept in every meeting and uh, so one of the things which I take some credit for is urging him to say it every time. Uh, I resigned his campaign uh, poster, put that at the very top of the poster, and, and he uh, uh, allowed uh, me to, to coordinate a, a statewide political campaign with this um, slogan, leave no one behind. He, he genuinely means this. He, he said something like this in absolutely every meeting. You are a historian, biographer of, of Thurgood Marshall. Let me ask you to put this moment in historical context. Only Massachusetts and Virginia had elected a black governor. Wes Moore is the third in U.S. history. What does his election mean to you? What, what does it mean for the people of Maryland? It's another important step towards this country uh, 
realizing its um, mission of, of, of inclusiveness, just another barrier down, as was the election of Barack Obama, as was some of the early elections in which I was involved with, the election of Kurt Smoke as the first elected uh, black uh, elected mayor, uh, as have been the movements toward including uh, women uh, in the significant uh, decision-making positions in, the, in, in, in America, as the inclusion in the uh, cabinet of, uh, of Native Americans uh, by the current president. All of these steps and uh, first and the seconds and thirds are important steps towards America becoming what it really is about and should be about. So this is an important one. Larry Gibson, thanks. Thanks for your perspective. Thank you. Larry S. Gibson is a law professor, lawyer, and biographer, and longtime Democratic political organizer. I'm Sheila Cast. A special edition of WYPR's Midday, covering the inauguration of Westmore, starts at noon. Tune in for that and join us again on the record tomorrow. <laughs>